Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. The phrase, the point of no return, originated as a technical term in air navigation to refer to the point on a flight at which a plane is no longer capable of returning to the airfield from which it took off. And so they say that there's a point when a plane flies so far that it reaches the point of no return. It has come to be used in a variety of contexts, that term, the point of no return, none more important than the concept in military where you reach the point of not turning back. Every year, hundreds of Civil War buffs get together and put on a mock battle. And they form military regiments modeled after the armed forces, that bygone era uh, of the Civil War, and they have artillery and cavalry units and foot soldiers and all of those things. And they wear the uniforms of the North and the South, and they go back and they try to replicate what the war would have been like. A couple years ago, one such group was replaying the Battle of Hanover. It's a town that, influ- was, uh, that was influenced really strongly. Uh, it influenced the outcome of the Battle of Gettysburg. And the southern forces under General J.B. Start had attacked a federal cavalry unit, and he was driving them back to the streets of Hanover. But Union reinforcements arrived just in the nick of time, and so this general of the South uh, was driven back, and he was ultimately captured. And so during this reenactment, it was a hot, sweltering day. The Civil War buffs are sweating as they maneuvered into position for their battle, facing delays and the usual frustration involved in making sure everything is set up properly. And then one of the rebel soldiers got tired, and he got hot reenacting this, and frustrated, so frustrated that he literally threw in the towel and headed for the refreshment tent. And he tugged off his wool uniform as he was heard to grumble, I quit. We're not going to win anyway. (laughs) And of course he was right. At best, the Battle of Hanover was a draw, but it contributed to the Confederates' loss at Gettysburg. And so here was this Civil War buff who knows how everything is going to turn out. He's tired, he's hot and discouraged, and he knows his side isn't going to win anyway, so he quits. Isn't that what quitting is really saying? I'm not going to win. I'm not sure how you feel about your relationship with God and your relationship to the body of Christ, but I want to remind you today that we are in a battle. It's a real battle. It's not a reenactment. And we need all hands on deck. Not sure if you feel like church is just an exercise, but I want 
you to know that I believe each of you matter to the success of what God is wanting to do through the Calvary Church. I don't believe anybody sitting in here today is just meant to sit on the sidelines. I want to say I don't want to go to war without you. I believe that your prayers, they matter. Your attendance to the house of God actually matters to what happens in the house of God. Your contribution, your financial and uh, ministry contribution, your involvement matters to what's happening. Paul would tell Timothy, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. That we're not careful, we get distracted and forget that we are really in a battle. And we think that we can just kind of throw in the towel and get into the refreshment tent and hope everybody else finishes it. But what are we saying when we remove ourselves from the battlefield? What are we saying when we remove ourselves from the connection to the body of Christ or to what God is doing? We're saying, in essence, I know how this ends, and we don't win. I feel compelled to ask us today... Have we reached the point of no return? Or are we still trying to decide, are we all in? It's a challenging question, but one I feel compelled to ask us today. Do you have a plan B for the things of God? If this church thing doesn't quite work out, do you have a plan B? What is your safety net? If serving God doesn't quite cross off all the check boxes that you have labeled for God. I'm reminded today of a story in the Old Testament. David, that famous uh, giant killer, is king. He's facing, though, the opposition of not just a giant, but he's facing the opposition of his own son Absalom to the throne. And so David decides to try to spare bloodshed. And specifically, he was trying to avoid the killing of his own son, whom the Bible says he loved greatly. But this son, Absalom, had betrayed David and stolen the hearts of the people, as the Bible says, away from the leadership of David to himself. And so David, to avoid the chaos and fighting, decides to walk away from the throne and leave the city of Jerusalem. And here we find one of my fi- favorite Bible characters in the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel chapter 15 verse 17 it says and the king went out with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. Then all his servants passed before him. And all the Cherethites and the Pelethites and all the Gittites, 600 men who had followed him from Gath, passed before the king. First thing we understand through this passage is that God knows who's following him. David made sure to stop. He didn't just leave town and just go on his way and 
not concern himself with everybody who had left everything to follow him, he stops at the edge of town. And one by one, people began to parade in front of him because he wanted to know who was actually following him. God knows who's following him. He knows everything about you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows the number of your days. And might I say today that what I find one of the most dreadful scriptures in all of the Bible It says that God will declare, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. How can an all-knowing God not know us? I believe it's saying that not that he doesn't know that we exist, But he's saying, I don't have a relationship with you. You see, you you chose your own path. And you made your own law about life. And you chose a life without me. Wasn't that I feel like God gets any joy in saying that he doesn't know us. But we understand, according to David, that he really wants to know us. He wants to know us, but there's a caveat to that, that you actually have to follow him. You actually have to follow his way in his direction. And so we realize that God knows those who are following him. The second thing that I find in this passage in the Old Testament is that you and I have a choice on whether we decide to follow Jesus Christ. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 19, after David stops and he begins to greet those, the king, David, said to Ittai the Gittite, why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king, King Absalom, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. Verse 20, in fact, you came only yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today? Since I go, I know not where. Return and take your brethren back. Mercy and truth be with you. And here, David gives Ittai a choice. And you have a choice on whether you follow Jesus Christ. Ittai didn't have to follow David. He wasn't making him follow him. But he said, I'm going to give that choice to you. We realize that same choice was given to Adam and Eve on whether they would choose to follow God's way or they would choose their own path. And why would that choice be available? Because love cannot exist without a choice. Love cannot exist without a choice. And so God made it possible for us to love him. And that love would be based on choice. Finally, as I look into this passage, I would like to remind us that following Jesus Christ is an all-in experience. 
See, Ittai in verse 21 answers the king when the king tells him to go back. It's your choice. Go back. Ittai answered the king and said, as the Lord lives. And as my Lord the king lives. Surely in whatever place my Lord the king shall be. Whether in death or in life. Even there also will your servant be. Ittai was saying, king, there is nowhere else for me to go. I've come to the point of no return. I'm not going back to Gath. I'm not going back to that king of the flesh. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Whatever place you find yourself, I'm going to be there, whether in death or in life. And I want to ask you today, have you settled the question of whether you're going to walk with God or not? Have you settled the question of whether you're going to be all in or not? Have you come to the point in your life where there is no return? There is no plan B. There is no safety net for your life. If our circumstances were different, would we still serve God? Why are we serving God? I have to ask that question honestly today. As the pastor of this church, if I wasn't pastor, would I still serve God? If I wasn't on staff at a church, would I still serve God? It's a tough question, but it's a mighty important question. Because I don't want to live, and it's impossible to live for God really when there is a point of return. When there's some way or some place where you could go, ah, you know what, I I think I'm going to go back to my old ways. If we're really going to live for God, if we're really going to be what God needs us to be, we have to get to the point of no return. That's why Jesus would so emphatically talk about followers, and he would talk about them in Luke chapter 9. And he said, it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He was as if uh, saying the same thing as David. I don't know where this journey is going to take you. You may say that you're going to follow me, but I want you to understand when you follow me with everything, you might not know where it's going to go. He said, and another said to him, or he said to another, follow me. But that man said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Another said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God cannot come unless there is an absolute surrender 
of your life. I don't care how much we sing. I don't care how much we try. If we do not surrender every aspect of our life to God, it's impossible for the kingdom of God to come. The kingdom did not reside with Absalom. The kingdom resided with David. The kingdom was not just a location. It was a person. It was the person of David. And can I tell you, the kingdom of God God is in the person of Jesus Christ. And unless you follow the person, it doesn't matter if you come into this building, 11970 Ken Road. It is not the kingdom of God does not reside in this building. The kingdom of God does not just reside in a, a an edifice of some kind. It resides in the person of Jesus Christ that is found through the hope of the Holy Spirit in us and I'm telling us today the kingdom wants to come but it requires us to have complete surrender to Jesus Christ oh hallelujah and so I ask challenging today for me as well what am I willing to walk through? What am I willing to suffer? What am I willing to go through so that his kingdom can come? I don't want to be a Christian who is just a Christian to a certain point. I don't want to be a Christian who is a Christian as long as everything is working out just right. I want to be the kind of Christian that says like it's high. Wherever place you are, king, whether in death or in life, whether in hardship or in great expense or whatever it might cost us, I'm willing to go where you go oh hallelujah hallelujah the point of no return how does Zittai get to this point of no return he says as the king lives as the Lord lives he says as the Lord lives that's Jehovah as God lives and as my Lord the King lives, surely in whatever place my Lord the King shall be, whether in death or in life, even there will your servant be. He begins, this man from Gath, this Philistine, puts his trust in Jehovah, puts his absolute confidence in the Lord. And I would submit today that Getting to the point of no return is putting your absolute confidence in Jesus Christ. Acts 2.38 gives us a recipe for being all in. Tells us that Peter said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance. It's the point of no return. It's the ultimate surrender to say, God, I'm not walking this way anymore. I'm going to walk this way. I'm going to follow you. I'm not going to follow my flesh anymore. I'm going to follow you. In baptism, we take on his name. We stop walking around with our own identity and we take on his identity in the waters of baptism. Why? For the forgiveness of sins. 
for the elimination of our sins in our life. It's the point of no return. That's what it's meant to be. And in order to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have to get to the point where you forsake everything in your life and you surrender to an almighty God And an almighty God breathes into you the breath of life. And you begin to speak a language you don't understand. You want to talk about the point of no return? You start speaking a language you don't understand that comes from God. It's walking off of a cliff. But it's the power of God to salvation. It's the point of no return. And so... It's high. He says, as the Lord lives and as my Lord the King. He's talking about King David. And I would submit to you today that you can't be who God needs you to be without being connected to the body of Christ. You got to be connected to people. Can't just have you, a relationship with just you and God and it not impact the people around you. But Ittai committed to David. He committed to the Lord. He committed to David. And he says, whatever place you go, I'm going to go. He committed to walking. In the good times and in the bad, he said, I'm going to remain faithful. I'm going to remain committed. What will it take us to settle the question today? God tried to give us a clear example of what we would do if we had a plan B. It's human nature. Children of Israel, even though they had come out of Egypt at the first sign of trouble, they were ready to go back. So in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17, it says, Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land. Of the Philistines. Although that was near. Although that was near. That was the easiest way. But what does it say? For God said. Lest perhaps the people. Change their minds. When they see war. And return. To Egypt. Isn't that what happens a lot of times? The pressure comes. And we look, look for escape. We look for a way out. I, I don't want war. I don't want battle. I'll hang up my uniform. How are life-changing decisions made in our life? Think about life-changing decisions you've made. Human nature shows us what it takes to make life-changing decisions. Many times it's a diagnosis. And then we change. It's failure. It's rock bottom. It's tragedy. And then we change. I feel stirred today. Ask the question, when are we going to get fed up? When is the lack of peace going to be enough? When is the fleeting happiness and consistent emptiness Going to be enough. The writer of Jude says that some will be saved by compassion 
and others will be saved by fear, pulling them out of the fire. I don't care what it takes. I want to be saved. I don't care what it takes. I want to live saved. See, Jesus knew there would be those who would walk away. Those who would start the journey, but they would ask the plane to turn around and fly back to the runway. And so Jesus said in John, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Think about that. Followers of Jesus, having experienced the miracles of Jesus, having experienced everything that he had, they decided to turn and walk back. Why? Because miracles won't keep you following Jesus. Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away too? Peter answered him, Lord, to whom will we go? We got rid of everything. We sold everything. And you have the words to eternal life. Said in verse 69, also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. See, those others were following him for a different reason. They hadn't come to put their faith in him as the Lord and as Christ. They were intrigued by what he was offering. They were intrigued by what might be better about their life. But when Jesus began to speak difficult things to them, ah, I'm out. Got to go. This is not what I really signed up for. And I realize today I'm not too far away from that. It was Demas who Paul would say, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. He loved God to a point, but for whatever reason, the present world was just too enticing. It was too good. And so he just walked away because there was a point of return. But we have examples in Scripture, too, of those who made the journey. It would be John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, the proclaimer of Jesus' miracles and ministry. John the Baptist would be thrown into prison. The circumstances, no doubt, were not what he signed up for. And he begins to question, is this right? Did I follow the right man? And Jesus said, go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Go tell John that everything he thought I would do, I'm doing. Just not for him. Saying, John, I, I am doing it. I'm the one that's able to do it. But he, John, didn't see it. He ended up getting his head chopped off. But there was a point of no return in John. And Jesus makes this statement that I think is so powerful for us today. Jesus says all this about to tell John, and he says, 
And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Jesus would say in Matthew 5, as I near a close, he said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I believe in miracles today. I believe in the power of God to absolutely change lives, physically, emotionally, to change, to absolutely have a miracle. There are people in this room who have experienced the power of God. I'm believing for that today. Brother Dave, we were talking the other day about this subject, that I'm not going to get offended if God doesn't check off a box for me. I'm not going to say, well, I might as well go back to the world because nothing's changing. No, we're going to keep walking. In life or in death, we're going to keep walking. In tragedy, we're going to keep walking. In disappointment, we're going to keep walking. Because I didn't sign up with a round-trip ticket. I bought a one-way ticket. And we're at the point of no return. I believe that God is calling some people who are kind of not sure whether you're here or not here. I want to tell you today, God needs you to be here. God needs you to be in the war. God needs you to be in the battle that's happening. We're not just playing church here. We're not just uh, replicating some war that happened 2,000 or 1,000 years ago. We're not just replicating some spiritual battle that happened 50 years ago when this church uh, was uh, born. We are in a very real moment, uh, a very real battle that requires all of us uh, to put on the armor of faith, uh, to step into the battle and say, I'm not turning back. Uh, it would be a tie that says, I don't care where you go. I don't care where it leads. I'm going to follow you. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's a calling that's emerging from this church. I feel it every week. I'm reminded today of the passage in Psalms chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. What happens when you're that kind of Christian? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Something happens. When you live a life where there is no return, when you're sold out, when you say, this is the only way, oh, something happens. Something happens. You start seeing people differently. You don't see them as a way to gain influence in society. You see them as a child of God. You see them as a hope uh, that they can find glory. They can find redemption for their life. 
brings fruit in its season. Today I'm reminded, Sister Burton, of missionary James Burton, one of his last messages. This is the husband to our dear Martha Burton. He passed away several years ago. He preached it here at TCC. And it was a masterpiece of a message. And his emphasis was simply this. Not one step back. Not one step back. I haven't got this far to start backpedaling on God. I haven't followed God this long to start backpedaling and wondering what's going on. No, I've come to the point of no return. Oh, hallelujah. I think it's possible today to live for God where you're all in. I think it's possible to live for God where there is no point of return. Paul tells us to live for God like we live for the world. Romans chapter 6, 19. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. This is a holiness church. We believe in the power of a redeemed life. We, re- we believe in the power of a life that is lived for the glory of God and not our own. Why are people not all in for God? Why do people backpedal? Why are people unsure? Could be fear. They're afraid of what people are going to say about them. There's shame, there's guilt, there's distraction, there's the love of riches, the love of the world, selfish ambition, there's expectations not met. I thought God would do it this way. I didn't think I'd have to deal with these kind of things. I didn't think people would treat me like this if I served God. But blessed is he who is not offended in me. What will it take you? To be all in. What will it take me to be all in? What will it take us to reach the point of no return? What will it take us to sell out? What will it take us to not look back? Reflected on a mantra that Bishop Pasley II would say. He would say, if you serve God hard, it's easy. But if you serve God easy, it's hard. You serve God hard if you put your heart into it and do it with all your might, all your soul, all your strength. It's pretty easy because you got nothing else to fall back on. But if you try to live in this in-between world where you make serving God easy, it's going to be the hardest fight of your life. The Bible calls us to avoid being lukewarm, being in-between. We got to have today a purpose, something we're striving for in God. But I'm so excited about what God is doing among us. I see people getting to that point of no return. 
that place that they're saying, I've come too far to turn back now. Saying this, this plane has one destination. It's not turning around and going back to Egypt. I'm heaven bound. I might face some turbulence along the way. I might face some storms. The old song says, this train is bound for glory. I'm excited there's a growing community of believers who are saying, I'm not going to live partially committed, half-hearted, distant, lukewarm, or indifferent to what God is doing. I've had two people in this last week here at Calvary talk to me about how God is helping them overcome addiction to alcohol. And God has put in the hearts of several in our church the desire to do a life group to help people facing addiction. This is not by chance because we're not looking back. There's no return. This week, a Bible study started at Miami University Hamilton with students from the Calvary Church. Because there is no return. I've talked about it. I love it. I talk about Wellington and the Spanish Bible study. But here's what I know about that today. That when Wellington bought his house several years ago, he invited me to come over. And he said, I want you to pray for my house. I want this house to be a house where people can be saved and people can find God. It was a point of no return for him. I'm not just living a casual life. I'm living on purpose. And every week people come to that house for connection, prayer, worship, and the study of God's word. And you guys do a great job leading that. And they have good Venezuelan food too that I enjoy. I always tell Wellington he's, he's Mexican. Wellington's Mexican and he's married to a Venezuelan. Just depends on... Who I'm talking to. Some days I like Mexican food better. And some days I like Venezuelan food better. I get a call this week from Maryland Prophet. What a gem. What a treasure to the Calvary Church. He said, Pastor, I want our life group, our prayer life group to not just meet every other week. I want us to meet every week. Why? Because there is no return. She's reached the point of no return. There's no going back. I'm thankful for Sean Hickey, who has dedicated his life to the Lord. And his agenda, him and Taylor, is to teach people Bible studies. So that's why at a meeting, at a gathering, he meets a gentleman. First time he met him, just a few weeks ago, a month ago or so. And he said, I feel like maybe we should do a Bible study. Not knowing the guy stepping out on faith. Not knowing what was going to happen. And the guy said, sure, I'll do the Bible study. The point of no return. Got a text from another young man this week. Graduate of UC. Starting his career. And he said, I asked my roommate this week if they wanted a Bible study. And he said, yeah. My roommate wants a Bible study. He's an agnostic. And, in, and the text said, 
I hope this is the first of many. People saying, I've come to the point of no return. I believe that's happening at the Calvary Church today. God is working among us. And there's no one in this room today that should feel like you're sitting on the sidelines. You have the opportunity to make a difference in the kingdom of God. Would you stand? So the question is, have you reached the point of no return? If you haven't, I think we've all been there. I think we've all been there. But at some point in your life, if you're really going to be who God needs you to be, you've got to surrender everything to the Lord. There's no other way. And so... This morning, I want to pray for those maybe are wrestling with turning the plane around. You're troubled by the turbulence in your life. You're troubled by what doesn't seem fair in your life. And I'm believing today that there's a God who's saying, make the journey. Trust me. Trust me. And I might have to lead you through Valley of the shadow of death. You might walk through some difficult times. But you will be fulfilled as you've ever been fulfilled in your life when you walk with purpose. God, I pray right now for everyone under the sound of my voice. God, there are some in this room who have absolutely committed their life to you 110%. God, they've walked through some difficult times, but they know that there's no better way than serving you and trusting you with every detail of their life. God, and I'm praying you would bless them, you would encourage them today. God, I'm praying for those here today who maybe are not sure whether they can surrender everything to you. They know their trouble. They know their struggles. They know their failures and their faults. They know their weaknesses. But Lord, you're inviting us. You're inviting us to make the journey. I'm praying today for courage. I'm praying today, God, that you would empower somebody today with your love and your grace and for them to say yes like they've never said yes before. I pray for somebody to repent of their sins today. Somebody would acknowledge you as their savior. I pray somebody would say yes to the waters of baptism today. Somebody would say yes to receiving your spirit today. Even if it feels like they're jumping off a cliff, I pray they would surrender everything to you in this room today. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, 
Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.